The Unbiased Podcast, Your Money, Your Future, is recorded at Exchange, 22 Bishopsgate, London, and powered by Copus. Hello, I'm Karen Barrett, CEO and founder of unbiased.co.uk, and this is the Unbiased Podcast, available to listen to completely free from wherever you find your great audio experiences. Unbiased.co.uk has a range of really useful calculator tools to help you plan your pension or mortgage. Head online now and try them out. Welcome to season two of Your Money, Your Future, where you'll hear from fascinating guests who candidly share their real life financial stories. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Jesse Metcalf, actor, model, musician, and philanthropist. Jesse, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be with you. First of all, let's talk about the early days. It seems you catapulted to fame overnight playing hot gardener John Rowland in Desperate Housewives. So how dramatically did this change your financial life? Well, not that dramatically, because I had done five years on daytime television prior to Desperate Housewives. I was on an American soap opera called Passions, you know, which I guess would be the equivalent to, uh, you know, EastEnders or Coronation Street or something like that. And I was making uh, good money. It was a lot of work and a great training ground for me as an actor. You know, it was in comparison a lot of money, considering that I came from pretty humble beginnings lower middle class family up and through uh, grade school. And then we sort of entered the middle class around uh, middle school and high school. And then I started my career uh, three years into my degree at New York University. You know, it was a big change for me to come to Hollywood and start making good money. So you mentioned your childhood. How much do you think that influenced your attitude to finances and how you manage your money? Wow, that's a great question. It really influenced my idea of money and wealth. From a very young age, I was very opportunistic and industrious, constantly asking people if they had uh, jobs that they needed completing. I was really transfixed on the pursuit of the almighty dollar. I was very into collecting sports cards, baseball cards when I was a kid. And my mom regales this story. She used to take me to these card shows that would happen in hotel ballrooms like the Howard Johnson's, which I, I don't know if you have those here in the UK, but uh, in the States, they're very prevalent. And these middle-aged baseball card dealers who would have tables at these card shows would like see me coming. You know, I was, uh, I, I had a reputation for being a, uh, a good negotiator and a, a, a bit of a wheeler dealer. So um, also there were times where, uh, you know, I made advantageous trades with some of the neighborhood kids and their parents would call my parents and accuse me of ripping their, their, you sons their money off, back. you know, so I, I was a bit of a shark at a young age. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. It, it was there from the early days. Um, <laughs> just back to your comment around you had worked on the daytime soap for five years. When you got that first role, did you start out managing your money well from that point? Or was that a lesson that you learned as you went through your career? No, I definitely gradually learned how to manage my money better and better through the course of that five years. The first two years, I lived modestly, tried to save 
I didn't make any big purchases. I did have to buy a car when I first moved to Los Angeles. So that was probably the biggest purchase that I made. But I didn't try to buy any property. I got a business manager who taught me a thing or two about uh, saving and investing my money in uh, you know, money market accounts. And you know, I, I incorporated relatively early into my acting career, probably three years into working on the daytime soap opera. And that's definitely a way to uh, be a little bit more aggressive as far as saving on your taxes. So yeah, I learned quite a bit in that first five years of really making uh, substantial money. You mentioned your business manager gave you financial advice. Did you ever seek the advice of a financial advisor or get information from elsewhere? Not at that stage. No, not at that stage. I was kind of just really focused on what I was doing and, you know, trying to become a good actor, you know, because I really had very little experience uh, in the craft of acting and in the field. So, uh, you know, I, I was in my early 20s. So I was just kind of riding the wave, not as aware as maybe I could have been or should have been at that time. Yeah, life's too short for regrets. What's the most useful piece of financial advice that you've ever received? I would probably say the best piece of financial advice I got was from that very first business manager. He taught me how to save a certain percentage of my income and not overspend. I think, you know, for a small town guy like myself who came from humble beginnings, there was definitely a lot of temptation to buy things that I couldn't afford previously, you know, luxury items and stuff like that. And he really dissuaded me from, you know, getting sucked into that consumerism. Fantastic advice. So I think the next question is really what's the hardest lesson you learned about money? You know, what's been the experience you've had where you thought, oh, that was a tough lesson to learn? Wow. I, I would say, I mean, the greatest lesson I learned within my business is that entertainment can be very much feast or famine. So it's important to save for the leaner times in your career. But I think probably an even bigger lesson I learned was not to invest in things that you're not on the ground floor of and things that you're not hands-on with, specifically hospitality. I've never really had a good experience investing in restaurants, nightlife, not unless you're there in the day-to-day -day and that is your business and you're running the place, you know, because it's very difficult to track where your money is going and if the business is being run efficiently. Yeah, uh, so stick to what you know and what you're passionate about and interested in. Well, you know, normally I would say stick to what you know, but I have probably over the last 10 years of my career, I've definitely ventured out into educating myself in areas that I wasn't very educated in. And I've definitely branched out into areas and personally do my own investing as far as, you know, stocks and cryptocurrency are concerned, even have ventured into NFTs and have done a lot of research in the space. You know, I can't always put your trust blindly in other people to make you money. You really do have to educate yourself as much as possible. And how are you doing that? Is that reading papers, that searching on Google, following people on Twitter? How, how yeah, it's definitely the internet and Twitter are probably my best news sources. Uh, you know, Twitter's just an invaluable resource. I find myself reading articles, reading tweet threads, probably four, five, six hours a day sometimes. 
just with Twitter alone, I, you, you could educate yourself enough to make yourself some good money in tech specifically. Well, I see you're embracing the world of NFTs. Is that really just to sort of work with charities? Because I know you're involved with many charities or is that because you've got a, you know, you're interested in the crypto and you know, NFT world? Well, much like I collected sports cards as a kid, collecting NFTs can be quite addictive. But we're very early to the space as far as NFTs are concerned. So right now, NFTs are really not doing that well. They're really lagging. And I wouldn't recommend that's something that's a little more, you know, risk on. I wouldn't recommend people go out and try to make money in the NFT space because uh, it's difficult to do so. Crypto, on the other hand, I would recommend, you know, people have at least 10% of their net worth in cryptocurrency. I have substantially more than that in cryptocurrency. But uh, right now is even a pretty decent buying opportunity and it could get better over the coming months. But I mean, you know, crypto has been down for, uh, you know, several months now. So, you know, it's a, it's very volatile and you have to be able to to deal with that emotionally and psychologically. But, you know, there's definitely a lot of money to be made. Yeah, absolutely. I think people need to sort out their rainy day fund if they're listening before they get involved in the NFT. That's, that's great advice. Great advice. Um, yeah. I see that you're involved with a, a whole slew of charities, many dealing with sort of lots of different things from, you know, kids, cats, poverty, et cetera, et cetera. How would you say that being involved with those charities has impacted how you look at finances and money? Has it has it made a difference? I don't know necessarily if it's directly affected how I look at my finances, you know, I, I get a lot out of being a part of certain charities and trying to leverage my notoriety and leverage my following on various platforms in order to help raise money for charities. Recently, I did do uh, an NFT drop to support refugee families from war-torn Ukraine, which was pretty successful. You know, and I did that with a company called Pipeflare, which is a cryptocurrency, a, a token. And they basically designed uh, this NFT and 100% of the proceeds on the primary and secondary markets went to these refugee families. So, Well, I mean, that's really cutting edge, isn't it? Yeah, it's very cutting edge. I mean, I, I, I'm waiting sort of for my audience really to get up to speed sometimes, because even though yeah. I have, you know, a million followers on Instagram and 200,000 followers on Twitter, not many people are that well versed, you know, with crypto and NFTs quite yet. You know, we're still just very early to the to the space. So, uh, you know, I'm sort of waiting for everybody to catch up. Interesting. So I hear you're a motorbike and car enthusiast. Is this true? It is true. Yes. It's true. So do you, are they just for fun or are they an investment as well? Yeah, everything's an investment with me. Um, but I get great pleasure um, out of my car and motorcycle collection. Um, I'm a guy that likes vintage things, things with a, a history, you know, a sense of nostalgia to them. Um, so, you know, right now I have a 1987, you know, 911, 930 Porsche Turbo, and I have a 360 Ferrari Medina. And I have some, uh, you know, early 90s street bikes and all of them are greatly appreciating at this moment. I think we're in a bit of a bubble, you know, that could burst in the coming year or two. So, you know, I'm, I'm probably looking to liquidate a lot of my assets in the next 12 to 24 months and sort of be ready for some type of impending recession, because I think that's likely to happen. 
And, you know, I feel like recessions often come uh, a lot faster than people anticipate. Mm -hmm. You know, when people sort of think the good times are going to continue to roll and they tend to come to uh, a pretty abrupt halt. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be caught with your with your hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, having a rainy day fund before you venture into cryptocurrency or NFTs, I would say it's best to have more than a rainy day fund. You know, you really have to have a good amount of savings, you know, before you start to gamble, you know, because that's really what this is, whether you're investing in the stock market, you're investing in crypto, or you're investing in NFTs, it is gambling. So you mentioned, you know, everything's an investment, you know, I'd agree in terms of spreading your risk around, you know, having different investments in different asset classes. Is this something that you've actively tried to do when you think about your own assets? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like it's something that I just instinctually do, Mm -hmm. as opposed to sitting down and divvying up all my asset classes by percentage and stuff like that. I, I do it innately. But if I do happen to have a windfall in some of these riskier asset classes, I generally tend to put those proceeds into real estate. For me, I've had the most success in real estate. And it's something that's kind of tried and true. And if I'm lucky enough to be able to, you know, liquidate a lot of my assets over the next year or two, I'm definitely going to be looking to acquire more real estate in an impending recession. As they say, you know, when uh, there's blood on the streets. Get in there for a good price. Exactly. Going back 20 years, what financial advice would you give yourself? Save more. Would you really have done that? Would you have listened to your advice? Well, I'm not a saver. I really enjoy life. I'm really at a stage in my life being 43 years old where I, I like to enjoy the fruits of my labor, but I feel like I do strike a nice balance there. I'm not totally over the top, but I mean, I do, I do like nice things, but I think in your twenties and thirties, that is a great time to, you know, work hard and and save, you know? And I think a lot of people get caught up with having a good time in their twenties and even into their thirties. And then they find themselves killing themselves in their forties and fifties to create a nest egg. And I think that's something that's best done earlier in life when you have more energy, you know, when you're younger. Yeah, so true. So true. So looking into a crystal ball, how do you see your financial future? You talk about, you know, an impending recession and divesting yourself of your assets sort of longer term, you got retirement in mind, a big long holiday, or is it sort of work and continue to enjoy all the different things you do? I think I'm the type of person that I'll probably work as long as I can, because what else am I going to do? I've been lucky enough not to live a life of manual labor. And that's not to say I don't know what that's like, you know, because I, I, I grew up working for my stepfather's landscaping business. And, you know, I work long, hot summer days. And, you know, I know how difficult that life is. So I think a lot of times when, when people get to 55, 60, 65, after living a life of, of manual labor, they're like, I'm done. You know, I need to just relax on the lazy boy and just, you know, do nothing with myself. And that's one way to live. I've been fortunate enough to work in the entertainment industry. So, you know, I'm not digging ditches. Um, I actually really love what I do. So I don't think it's necessarily as physically and psychologically taxing. So I'll try to do it for as long as I can. You know, I have a 401k, which 
I put as much money in as I possibly can because in, in the States, you know, you can put up to 250000 every year into your 401k tax-free. So, I mean, it's a great way to, you know, uh, get out of paying taxes on you know, bulk of your income. Yeah, we have similar here in the UK. It's very, it's very tax efficient to save into pension plans. Lastly, Jesse, I'm going to do five quick five questions with all my guests this season, and you're the first. So are you ready? Absolutely. Cash or card? I'm a cash guy, but you know, not many people are taking cash these days. What's been your best investment? Crypto. Worst? Nightclubs and restaurants. Does money make you happy? Very. When was the last thing you bought? Wow. The last thing I bought was a 1992 Honda RC30 motorcycle. Good purchase. Do you see managing your money as a necessary evil or do you see it as a tool for leading the life you want? I see managing my money as a tool for leading the life I want, but I'm by no means a financial expert. So I often defer to my business manager for advice, as well as several mentors that I you know, really admire from a financial perspective. Okay, so it's not that you don't want to manage the money yourself. I mean, you even mentioned that you do, but it's you want to gather together sort of information and experience from others. Is that right? That's absolutely right. I mean, you know, as Jay-Z said, more money, more problems. So there's some complicated issues that arise the more money that you make. And it's uh, very prudent to look to people with more experience than yourself for guidance. So Jesse, what are you working on at the moment or where can people see some of your work? Well, an action movie that I just did uh, not too long ago with uh, Bruce Willis and Chad Michael Murray released in the States on the 29th. So it should be uh, coming out soon internationally. And I also have another film called On a Wing and a Prayer coming out in August. So uh, yeah, look out for that. Brilliant. Thank you. We'll stick some links to those on the bottom of the podcast. Okay, Jesse, thank you so much for being here today. I think you've given our listeners some great advice. You've clearly got your head screwed on and I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot from you and your experiences. And I wish you all the best for your financial future. Thank you so much, Karen. I really appreciate it. Making a high quality podcast like this takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire Copus. With our white glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests, and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you would build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would grow your business? We do. Contact Jason at copus, K-O-P-U-S dot com and let's talk.